Good morning, church, and praise the Lord. It gives me joy to bring you God's holy word this morning. I take this opportunity to welcome all of us to our online service. For those who are following on YouTube Live, uh, Facebook Live, on YouTube, and those who are listening to us through our Truth FM 90.7, welcome so much to our today's service. The passage at hand that was just read to us this morning comes from First Chronicles chapter 20, verse 1 to 8. It's one short passage among the many books in Chronicles, but also one of those bloody passages of Scripture that we uh, read across in Chronicles. And the word of God this morning reminds us on experiencing God in our heavenly pilgrimage. Brothers and sisters, my friends, allow me to remind us, as I've always done, that God's holy word was written to us first to instruct us to have a relationship with God. And secondly, after having that relationship with God, it also instructs us on how we are going to live our Christian walk every day as we wait for the Lord's second coming or for him to call us home. It is at this point that I want to remind us, even at this difficult time of COVID-19 season, that in as much as a lot of emphasis have been given across the world or globally on taking care of people's needs, which is absolutely necessary and important. But unfortunately, down the road, we have not put so much emphasis on people's spiritual needs, and this is dangerous. The passage this morning, out of this bloody passage, we can draw some timeless lessons that can help us as Christians and as pilgrims waiting to uh, meet our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The passage that was read, chapter 20, actually concludes the two verses, the two chapters, chapter 18, 19, and 20, that records David's uh, victories in battles. In fact, the chronicler's description plays an important role by demonstrating that David was God's chosen person to lead Israel, and he led him even through difficult battles of the time. From the passage that we read in verse 1, Job, who was actually David's uh, right-hand man, his right-hand man was Job, and Job also had a friend who was also a close brother to him called Abishai, who was also close to him. These were the people who were close to David in terms of military uh, battles. And so he leads the army into war. And we are told it was springtime when the king went to war or when the kings went to war. In this part of the world, battles were actually fought during, uh, were not fought during winter months for obvious reason because of the cold and the challenges of moving around that was going to inconvenience soldiers in their battle. It makes a lot of sense. In verse 2, David defeats and humiliates Ammon, uh, the king of Ammon. In fact, it even says he even took the king's crown and wears it. Listen to what it says. He took off the king's crown from his head and placed on David's head, humiliating. In fact, it was like David was like saying to the king, Tafuta Rikayako, 
I'm not your age mate. I don't play in the same league with you. I remember in our childhood games when we were growing up, we could go through such games that a friend or somebody who wants to humiliate you would take your arm, arm and twist it on your back and you feel a lot of pain. And for him to confirm that you are actually uh, accepting the humiliation and uh, giving in to defeat, he would say, Sema mime baba. And you would shout, Wawane baba, just to show the humiliation and the pain that you are going through to surrender. So the crown, which was actually precious to the king, was taken from his head and put on another king. Very humiliating. And remember, the Bible talks about this uh, crown that it was actually for ceremonial use. It was not a crown for everyday's usage. It was for ceremonial use. And so it was an important one. It was taken from the king. Very, very painful experience. When we were young kids growing up, you know, we used to have, our mama used to have uh, utensils that were set aside for visitors. They used to call it kikombe or sahani yawageni. And this vikombe and sahani yawageni were actually not used for everyday usage. They were unique and were used for important events only. And I know you can relate to this. It is not unique to our family alone. I know you can relate to this also. And if you are caught playing with these utensils, your goose was cooked. So it gives a lot of picture on the attachment that these were given. In fact, in this passage, the king's crown was for official use only, but it was taken and placed on the king's head, uh, King David's head. The Bible says that in verse two, that this crown actually weighed a talent of gold. A talent of gold can be translated to something like 30 kgs. That was heavy. That was heavy. In verse 3, the people of Ammon were put to work with saws, iron picks, and with axes. These were very, very serious atrocities of the time. And it was a common practice for warriors who had resisted the siege to be put to death this way. In fact, in Chronicles, uh, not Chronicles, but Deuteronomy chapter 20, from verse 12 all the way to 14, we find even more serious uh, ways that, they were, that were used to put to death such people who had resisted siege. And this was to encourage other cities to submit instead of going through the painful process for the soldiers to take these uh, cities into siege. And the provision in Deuteronomy is actually a merciful one as compared to others. So the people in the cities were actually cut with souls, which was a harrowing experience. They were killed, even with axes. And the aim of this was to make these cities useless and defenseless, so that as the soldiers proceed, they were not going to be attacked from behind. In Jeremiah chapter 48, verse 9, we hear an extreme situation that even in some extreme situation, they would uh, sprinkle salt in the whole city and the whole country to make the land wasted or useless for any agricultural produce. Jeremiah says in verse, uh, chapter 48, verse 9, put salt on Moab, for she will be laid to waste. Her cities will become desolate. 
No one will dwell in them. They were laid to waste completely. From verse 4 to 7, this portion records the victory over Philistines' giants. In fact, the Israelites and the Philistines had fought countless battles. In fact, Philistines were experts in terms of instruments of war. They were the ones who would prepare the spears and were also preparing iron tools for agricultural use. But in this portion, his, uh, the Israelites defeat the Philistines. And in verse 8, it concludes by telling us that the descendants of Rapha in Gath uh, fail. Uh, it, it concludes by telling us that the descendants of Rapha in Gath fell into the hands of David and his men. Today, I will not draw a lot of lessons on the experiences or the parts that speak about the battle. But I want us to reflect on this passage as we draw lessons on how is this passage going to teach us as Christian pilgrims who are on our heavenly pilgrimage. The passage at hand provides timeless lessons in our heavenly pilgrimage, even as we go through this COVID-19 pandemic and other socioeconomic and political challenges as a nation. And allow me to draw three lessons. And lessons will come from David and his uh, men also who are involved in war with him. Lesson number one that I want to bring to our attention this morning is that in our heavenly pilgrimage, let us beware of moments of ease. In our heavenly pilgrimage, let us beware of moments of ease. In verse 1, I'll pick just one part of verse 1. In verse 1, NIV says, uh, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, Job led out armed forces. He laid to west the land of the Ammonites and went to Rabbah and besieged it. Then it says, but David remained in Jerusalem. Job attacked Rapha and left it in ruins. It says, I'll pick that part of the passage that says, but David remained in Jerusalem. In New American Standard, it says, but David stayed. The other one is saying remained, but this one is saying stayed in Jerusalem. But Amplified Version says, but David tarried in Jerusalem. Studies have shown that in moments of ease, that is when things, bad things are bound to happen. It is when disaster strikes. In verse 1, David remained in Jerusalem. Though this brief statement looks so innocent, so innocent, it has very deep and rich implications. Interestingly, the chronicler in this passage does not tell us what happened when David remained in Jerusalem. It doesn't say. It just mentioned that David remained in Jerusalem, period. But when we take back a step back into the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 11, from verse 2 all the way to chapter 20, verse 22, we now notice that there were areas of failures that David experienced during this time. And the chronicler deliberately omits this portion because he wanted to demonstrate the importance of worship and faithfulness of God. 
But what actually happened during this time when David remained in Jerusalem? From 2 Samuel 11, from verse 5 to 27, we learned that it was at the springtime when soldiers were out, had gone to war, and David, because he had fought so much battles, and a lot of the battles that he was fighting with the Philistines, the Philistines' army would usually actually target on David so much and leave alone the other soldiers. It happens. It is normal. I love watching wrestling myself, and there's something that we call Royal Rumble in wrestling. And in this game, it is always the last man standing. And the last man standing always, people would target the strongest one to get him out of the ring so that the rest can now sort out themselves. And that could have been the issue that the Philistines were doing. They would target David because he's a strong man, and they would want to bring him down. And because of these battles, David decided this time round, Job, I'm not going. I will stay back. You go with the soldiers. And as he was relaxing, we learn from 2 Samuel chapter 11, as he was relaxing in the balcony, it was the time when he saw Uriah's wife taking shower. And you know what happened. He takes her in and she conceives. And you know what? After David notices that these things have gone south, he decides to call Uriah back home. And Uriah comes home, and interestingly, as a disciplined soldier, he says, I'm not going to sleep home because my friends are out in the battlefield. I will stay away. And David notices that that plan has backfired. He writes a letter to uh, Job and gives Uriah and sends him to Job and tells Job, please put Uriah on the battlefront. And Uriah is put on the front line of the battle and is killed. Imagine Uriah, a very faithful soldier, obedient to his master and boss, taking his letter that has been sent to take to his commander. And this letter was actually his death sentence. It happened at the moment of ease. An English playwriter, actually is a tragedy playwriter and a poet, called William Shakespeare. In one of the immortal tragedy plays that he is entitled Macbeth, illustrates three retrogressive stages of evil, which I actually see clearly demonstrated uh, in the life of David at this time of ease. And he talks of one, he talks about lust. When people are relaxing and taking things easy, they can always so easily fall into lustful situation. Last week, James calls, uh, calls it in first, uh, chapter 1, verse 15 of James' temptation. Then he talks about lust resulting in sin, which James calls it yielding to the temptation. And then sin spawned death, which both James and even William Shakespeare in this are in agreement. David taking things easy, relaxing, when actually he should have been on his lookout. He should have been on his command as a Christian took things light, took things easy, and that is when things became difficult for him. And what he did resulted in a lot of pain for him as an individual, a lot of pain for his family, a lot of pain for his soldiers, and a lot of pain for the whole nation. In our moments of ease, let's be watch out. Let us watch out. Let's be alert, lest we fall into tempting situations. Prophet Ezekiel, in chapter 16, verse 49, 
of Ezekiel warns us against the danger of taking things easy and idling around. He says, look, this is what, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter had pride. Fullness of food and abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen her hand, the hand of the poor or the needy. In this time of COVID-19, when there is an order to stay home, let's be careful of that moment of ease. Let's beware of that moment of ease because it can lead us to challenging situation. At least when we are home waiting for the pandemic to be over, we can also take an opportunity to learn something new that is available. There's a lot of online programs that we can learn something new to help us develop ourselves. Just imagine, during this period of stay at home, how many men like David have found themselves in compromising situations. And I say this with a lot of shame, even with their own house girls. They were not careful with moments of ease. There was one incident that was aired in our national television recently, and it was a sad one of a man actually who found himself in a compromising situation with his mother-in-law. Things that are so shaming even to mention. Let's beware of our moments of ease. How many school-going girls have conceived during this season? Because they were not careful of moments of ease. Our CS Education last week noted the worrying trends of teenage pregnancies this season. Moments of ease. The passage at hand gently reminds us, as heavenly pilgrims, that in our moments of ease, let's be careful. And this is a timeless lesson for every one of us. As David remained in Jerusalem, taking things easy, that is when disaster strikes. May the Lord help us that in our moments of ease, we will be very careful lest we fall into these uh, situations that are not worth of our calling as Christians. Lesson number two, which still comes from verse one, the life of David. In our heavenly pilgrimage, temptations are our constant companion. From verse 1, from the life of David and the story of David, David remaining in Jerusalem, his experience with Uriah's wife and the aftermath of it is a gentle warning to all of us that in our heavenly pilgrimage, temptations are our constant companion. David's story in verse 1 brings this reality, the reality of temptation to our attention. People say there are two things in life that you can't avoid. Interestingly, they say one is death and two is taxes. But I think we need to include a third one, a third one in this case, and that is temptation. Friends, temptation strikes at the heart of everyone without exception. We fight against it every passing minute. 
even as I stand before you this morning, I fight the temptation to conclude before I get to the conclusion. Temptation is a reality to every one of us. None of us is immune to Satan's attacks. David was king. Please notice that. David was king. He was not just ordinary man. He was a king. In fact, he was a man after God's own heart. Yet Satan attacked him, tempted him, and caused him to sin. In moments of ease, let's be careful. And number two, in our moments of, uh, in our heavenly pilgrimage, let us remember that temptation, uh, temptations are our constant companion. We have to face and overcome every day. James chapter 1 verse 13 says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. And I love the way James mentions. He says, when tempted. He does not say, if tempted. He says, when, to suggest that we are not immune to temptation. It's just a matter of time. Jesus, in his life and ministry, faced and overcame temptation. In Matthew chapter 4, from verse 2 all the way to verse 10. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 27, we are reminded that Satan is the devil. He is a powerful enemy, and we should not underestimate him. He is alive and well. He is not in his bad moods. He knows his job well, and he is doing it. He knows when to attack. This passage, the experience of David in verse 1, gently reminds us that temptations are a constant companion. And as believers in our heavenly pilgrimage, we must face and overcome temptations. Let us learn from David to be alert to Satan's subtle, shrewd, and astute maneuvers to attack us when we least expect. When tempted, let us turn back to God in repentance. Second Chronicles chapter 6, verse 36 to 39, King Solomon says these words. I'll paraphrase that. That when they sin against you, for no one who does, for there is no one who does not sin. If they turn back to you with all their heart and soul, then from heaven, your dwelling place, hear their prayer and their pleas and uphold their cause. Forgive your people who have sinned against you. In our heavenly pilgrimage, temptations are a constant companion. And as believers, we have to face this temptation and overcome them. A story is told of a village that was called Nabongo Village. And in this village, Nabongo Village, there was a king whose word was the law. And one time in the morning, the king issued a decree. And the decree was, in all Nabongo village, it is a taboo to eat a hyena. And everybody said, the king is right. Little did they know that in the next few months, there was going to come a very serious famine in the land. And it lasted for a long time. Animals died. Crops dried in the shamba. The remaining food in the stores were all running out. 
Young men would go hunting in the morning to get something to eat. And as the famine continued, that is the more animals died and the hyenas, because they feed on carcass, were fattening day by day. One day in the morning, the young men went hunting and they found nothing, completely nothing. And two young men, a friend told his brother whom they were hunting together, that if today, if I don't eat anything, I'm dying. But as they were going around, it was only hyenas they would see. Until they decided, why can't we chase the hyena? And an old man who was standing next to the young man told them, young men, it's a taboo to eat a hyena. And the young man said, well said, Muse. But did the chief say it's a taboo to chase a hyena? No, he didn't say. So let's chase a hyena. And they chased the hyena. And because of a lot of fats in the hyena, it didn't, it didn't take them long to get the hyena. And the, young man, the old man said, young man, it's a taboo to, kill, to eat a hyena. And they said, well said, Muse, but he did say it's a taboo to kill a hyena. No, let's kill it. They killed. And they started skinning the hyena. And the Muse said, it's a taboo to eat a hyena. And the young man said, well said, Muse, but did he say it is a taboo to skin a hyena? No. So we skin it. And as they were skinning, one of the young men went to look for firewood. He collected firewood and brought it and lit fire. And the muse said, young man, it's a taboo to eat a hyena. And the young man said, well said, muse. But the, muse, did the chief say it's a taboo to roast a hyena? No, he didn't say. And so they roasted the hyena. And as the fats were dropping in the fire and some nice aroma was coming out, the muse shouted again, young man, it's a taboo to eat a hyena. And the young man said, well said, muse. But did he say it's a taboo to test a hyena? No, he didn't say. So let us test it. And at the end of it all, the whole hyena was tested away. In our heavenly pilgrimage, temptation is a constant companion. But what are we to do? We are to face and overcome temptations. David went down flat foot on this one. At the time of ease, when he was tempted, he did not overcome the temptation. And from his example, we can take the caution that in our, along the way in our walk with the Lord, as we face the temptations, let us learn to face and overcome the temptations. The story of David at this point serves as a warning to us to be careful when faced with temptations to learn to face them and overcome them by the word of God. Lesson number three that this passage brings to our attention. Remember I said two lessons from David and from his soldiers. From David we are learning that there are in moments of ease we need to be careful. From David we are learning that in our heavenly pilgrimage temptations are a constant companion and we must face and overcome them. Lesson number three, in our heavenly pilgrimage, victory is not always in our strength or might. It is in trusting God. In our heavenly pilgrimage, victory is not always in our strength or might. 
It is in trusting God. Verse 6. Listen to what verse 6 says. NIV says, In still another battle, which took place at Gath, there was a huge man with six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in all. He also was a descendant of Rapha. Verse 7, when he taunted Israel, Jonathan, son of Shimei, David's brother, killed him. From verse 4 to 8, we find the final conquest between the Israelites and the Philistines. These Philistines, we are told, actually one of them was a relative of Goliath. And we know from history, Goliath was not an ordinary man. He was a giant and a threat to Israel. We know that David had killed Goliath. And I think no wonder the Philistines would always target David in every battle. Maybe because of the historical issues that they had, David had killed their giant Goliath. But Philistines in this battle failed terribly because they put their trust in strength, the strength they had, and in their weapons and not in the Lord. When this happens, failure is always guaranteed. Brothers and sisters, my friends, planning without God leads to frustration, it leads to misery, it leads to bitterness, and ultimately it leads to defeat. In 1 Samuel chapter 21, verse 20 all to 21, we notice that this was actually the fourth battle that took place in Gath, which was the enemy territory. The enemy in this case being the Philistines, and there were constant threats to the Israelites. In fact, history narrates that they had fought, they fought countless battles with the Israelites. But we are told, Jonathan, who was David's nephew, killed the unnamed giant, who, like Goliath, of, uh, defied Israel and Israel's God in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 10. But if we take one step behind from verse 6 to verse 5, we notice that Elhathan, son of Jair, killed somebody who was called Lami, who was the brother of Goliath, the Gittite. Just as like his brother Goliath, Lami also had a spear whose weaver, like the beam, you know, his weaver was like the beam. The weaver's beam in this context would weigh something like between 7 kgs to 11 kgs. That was heavy. But we are told Jonathan, who was David's nephew, killed him. In verse 6, it describes this man of great stature. Listen to the description of this man of great stature. It says he had 24 fingers and toes. In fact, six on each hand and six on each foot. He was born to the giant. In verse 6, we are told that this man had excesses, which were, it's actually not uh, anything strange because people always get born with an extra finger or an extra toe, which is always amputated uh, after birth and they live normal life without any, any problem. But this one, in this context, 
the excesses were seen as giving him advantage over the rest of the people. However, in this context, we are told Jonathan, son of Shimea, who was David's brother, killed him. What this means actually was, it is like saying some young trainee soldier killed him. Some young trainee soldier killed a giant. Why? Because they were not depending on their own strength. They were depending on, they were trusting in God. As opposed to the Philistines who were depending on their own strength and might. Brothers and sisters, in our heavenly pilgrimage, victory is not always in our strength or might. It is in trusting God. Success is not always in the strength or in numbers. It always comes when we have faith and trust in God. The great military genius recorded in history was named Napoleon Bonaparte, a man who would say in every battle, we have to win this war, and if there is no way of winning it, we will create one. A man full of himself. He trusted his might, he trusted his skill in war, he trusted his strength. When he was about to invade Russia, he left God out of his planning. In fact, one of his friends who had some faith in God dissuaded him against launching an attack on the Russians. But Napoleon could hear none of it. And so when it became apparent to his friend that he could not convince him otherwise, the friend quoted a familiar proverb that says, man proposes God disposes. Napoleon, with fires of resentment burning, responded, I dispose as well as propose. A very sorry response. Napoleon's invasion of Russia was the beginning of his fall. Brothers and sisters, success is not always in our strength or in our might. It is always in trusting God. In this passage, the Israelites defeated their enemies, not because of their strength or might, but because they put their faith in God. They trusted in him. How many times have we as Christians failed to depend on God and have resolved, uh, resorted into our own strength, depending on our knowledge, depending on our expertise, depending on our military strength, depending on medical, our medical expertise. All these are great, but we must invest, and we must invest in them, but we must have our faith firmly in God. We must trust in God in every situation. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 to 7 says, the wise man Solomon says, Trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding. In all ways acknowledge him. Our success in life comes not from our own might or our strength. It comes from trusting, putting our faith and trust in God. Psalm 33 verse 12 says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. In the battle against Jericho in the book of Joshua chapter 5 verse 13 all the way to chapter 6 verse 27, this battle was won not by 
strength of the army or numbers. It was through trusting in God. Brothers and sisters, our strength, our victory against this COVID-19 season comes from the Lord. The government through its relevant agencies will do their parts. It must do their parts. But our hope is in the Lord. Are you worried about your family upkeep? Trust in the Lord. Are you, is your job hanging in a balance? Or maybe you have lost it? Trust in the Lord. The Israelites won their battles against the Philistines and many other nations, not because of their military expertise, but because they trusted in God. They had faith in him. Brothers and sisters, as individuals and as families and as a church, as a nation, the Lord is gently reminding us this morning through this passage that we can experience him in our heavenly pilgrimage if we are careful in our moments of ease. Are you careful in your moments of ease? When everything is working well, do you take precaution as a Christian and as a child of God? The passage is also gently reminding us that temptations will come, but we must face and overcome this temptation. Are you facing and overcoming the temptations that come your way? Number three, this passage is reminding us gently that our victory comes in trusting in the Lord. Not our knowledge, not our expertise, not our strength. It is trusting in the Lord. Have you trusted in the Lord? Have you made Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life? If you have not made that decision to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you have an opportunity to consider that this morning. You can give your faith to him. You can give your heart to the Lord. You can purpose that I'm going to trust in him and make him the Lord of my life. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine brightly on you in this time of difficulties. May he give you peace now and always. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You could be there and you would want to give your life to Christ. Allow me to pray for you this morning that you may consider giving your life to Christ. That he will lead your life and that he will guide you in the path of righteousness. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to listen to your word. We thank you for the listeners as we pray for each one of them that you would bless them. For those who have given their lives to you, we pray that you will strengthen them in their work with you. And for those who have not given their lives to you and are considering to do that this morning, we pray, dear Lord, that you will be gracious and merciful to forgive them their sins and to accept them as your children, members of God's family, and that you would guide them in the path of righteousness, even as we serve and trust you as we wait for the second coming. This is our humble prayer of thanksgiving through Christ our Lord. Amen.